Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Avinu, we thank you for this season of Sukkot. We pray that your Word would go forth and edify, encourage, and build up your people. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson go on a camping trip, perhaps for Sukkot. Sometime during the night, Holmes turns to his friend and says, Watson, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. I see millions and millions of stars, Holmes, replies Watson. And what do you deduce from that? Watson ponders for a minute. Well, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe that Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Meteorologically, I suspect we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. Theologically, I can see that God is all powerful and that we are a small and insignificant part of the universe. What does it tell you, Holmes? Watson, you fool, he says, someone has stolen our tent. <laughs> this is the season when we are to look up at the stars. And if our tents are still there, perhaps we can see them even through our tents, even through our Sukkot. And if it's during the day, we should be able to look up and see the clouds. Today for the festival of Sukkot, we of course are going to talk about tents. So let me tell you the saga of the sukkah, my tent story. I purchased a tent that hovers above the ground and I had to sell this purchase to my wife. I claimed that there would be no bugs to crawl around her at night. There would be no roots poking at her back, a hammock tent. But don't the two people in the hammock tent get smooshed together? You say, ha, 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 you would think so. But this tent attaches to three trees, so there's very little sag in the middle. Sonia could see the excitement in my eyes and in my voice. There was probably no dissuading me. We were going to buy this tent. I got it at an extreme discount, I told her. Pre-loved, they called it, but sanitized. The company is based in the United Kingdom, but the factory and the pre-loved tents are in Utah. Every day, sometimes multiple times a day, I'm sorry to say, I would check the tracking on FedEx. Randomly, I would proclaim to my patient wife, babe, it's in Nebraska. <laughs> Not even the tent is in Nebraska. I just said it. I have never been more excited for a package in my life. When the day came, the package arrived, and Sonia sent me a picture of the package with a question because I was out. Should I open it? I just about fell over. I called her as soon as I could. No, no, please, please let me open it. 
She was, of course, only joking. She got me really good with that one. But, uh, you know, revenge is mine, says the Lord. I had scoped out three trees the day before next to our house, and they were perfectly spaced out. I pulled up the video on my phone, and a fellow who sounded like he was from the United Kingdom started speaking to me. I'll try to do his accent. It's going to be bad. Today, I'll be showing you how to set up your Generation 3 Flight 2 two-person tree tent. Let's see what's in the bag. You got your three tree wraps, your straps, a web lock, rain fly, the poles, bungees and pegs, and the tent. I paused the video, took everything out of my bag. Did not match up with the video. Started to get a sinking feeling in my stomach, and I scoured the bag for the parts I may have missed. Nope, I did not miss them. They just weren't in there. So I called the helpline, which connected me directly to the office in England. And the same voice that I had been listening to in the video was on the phone. And I said, you're the guy from the videos. He was like, yeah, yeah, I did a couple of those. So I said, I told him my problem. And he said, well, send me a picture. So I took a picture of all the parts. And he said, yep, looks like you're missing one ratchet, one strap, and one weblock. Sorry about that. He said that the missing parts should arrive later that week. Man, was I disappointed. I walked back to our home. I looked up at the heavens, and I said thanks to God. I tried to re reframe my heart toward thankfulness, thankful that I had a permanent home. I had everything I needed. Thankful and hopeful also that the rest of my tent would come in time. We might look around at, at what we have and wonder, is it enough? I mean, they always said I was a few pieces short of a full tent, but now I finally understand what they mean. Some aspects of this temporary life are almosts or not quites. We're missing something. We're not complete. We're not whole. We're not all together. There's a sense that there is not a fullness of shalom in this world. There's a related word, shalem, which means complete, nothing missing, like a wall that has every single block or a tent that has every single part. That would be shalem. That would be a tent of shalom. And we have an advocate, someone who is sending us the missing parts, who listens to our complaints of an incomplete tent bag. For me, it was a very nice guy in the United Kingdom. And I'm sorry if I did not do his accent justice. But I had no guarantee that this man in England would deliver, that all the parts would come in time. All I had was a hope and a prayer. However, we do have a guarantee in this life. The Apostle Paul says, I am sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Messiah Yeshua. So if you are feeling incomplete today, let me assure you, all your parts and all your pieces will be delivered on time by the Messiah. And in the meantime, while we wait, we can turn 
to the heavens and give thanks. The British guy said it would arrive the same week on Thursday. So I waited again with somewhat less anticipation than the first time. Thursday came and went, then Friday, then Shabbat, then Yom Kippur, before and immediately after all these holy times, I'm calling these guys, I'm emailing, I'm messaging, I muster up the strength not to check on Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year. Uh, but as soon as that sun went down, and as soon as I had that last meal, where is it? I was half trusting the Lord and half nervous that I wouldn't have all of my tent in time for Sukkot. And those of you who are camping with us, you know the end of this story. But for those of you who don't, I'm not going to tell you right now. <laughs> because I have to introduce another part to this story. The condo, the condo that I live in, I had when I moved back to Richmond where I lived as a naive bachelor and an elementary Spanish teacher. The condo where I met my wife has been sold. We're moving to a different place across town, which God provided for us, but that's another story. Our future condo, however, is under construction. It's not yet ready. So what to do? We had to find a sukkah, a temporary house in the meantime. And I chose a tent that connects to three trees. We're going to be living there for six months. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we had to find a sukkah, a temporary house. This past week, the missing parts from my tent came on the same day that we got the keys to our apartment. In other words, we set up one sukkah just outside of another sukkah. This, I believe, was the timing of God to help me make this connection. And then I put my body in that floating tent for the first time, and guys, it was so cool. And I realized also that my body, this, is also a kind of sukkah. It's a temporary dwelling. Someday, God willing, probably in April or so, Sonia and I will move to our more permanent home in the near west end of Richmond. And someday, probably and hopefully many years from now, we will move to our permanent home with God. And in the meantime, we have these sukkot these tents, these huts, these temporary homes to remind us that life is short. I feel like there's an echo. <laughs> A voice calling in the there wilderness. Is. You see, we are weak and fragile and dependent on God. And if we feel discomfort or longing or sadness, well, that's normal because we're not yet home. Rabbi Paul of Tarsus puts it like this, therefore, do not lose heart. Though our outward man is decaying, that's, that's this stuff, 
Yet our inward man is being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. As we look not at what can be seen, but at what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary. But what cannot be seen is eternal. For we know that if the tent, our earthly home, this sukkah, is torn down. And Paul uses the word tent here. We have a building from God. A home not made with human hands. Eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan. Let me hear you groan. Longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, after we have put it on, we will not be found naked. For we groan. While we are in this tent, burdened because we don't want to be unclothed, but to be clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, as a pledge. Therefore, we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. This body, you think it looks nice now, but it's getting an upgrade. Someday, if I have my theology right, it's going to be shining bright like a star. And in the meantime, we're thankful for our temporary dwelling because it is also the dwelling place of God. Leviticus 23, which we read earlier, reminds us of this. You are to live in Sukkot for seven days. All the native born in Israel are to live in Sukkot so that your generations may know that I had the children of Israel to dwell in Sukkot when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Adonai, your God. When we were in the desert, we dwelt in Sukkot, in tents, provided by God. This whole life is like a desert. We groan and we ache. But God provides. Who was that? Bonnie, you missed your cue. Five seconds late and a dollar short, but I love you. God provides. And we're looking forward to that permanent home, even as we're thankful for the temporary tent we have right now. Sukkot is about remembering that we had temporary dwellings in the desert. So the question is, did we actually have tents in the desert? Did we have huts? The rabbis looked at this and scratched their heads. With what materials? Were there trees in the desert of Israel so we could make the huts? If not, in what way did we dwell in Sukkot? The Midrash abounds. The rabbis mostly agree that the sukkah here was the cloud, representing the presence of God. So how can a cloud be a sukkah? The Talmud puts it like this, referring to the Leviticus portion that we just read about tents in the desert. 
Rabbi Akiva says Sukkot, or tents, refers only to the clouds of glory. As it is said, then Adonai will create over the whole shrine and meeting place of Mount Zion, a cloud by day and smoke and a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory shall hang a chupa, wedding canopy, Isaiah 4. This only tells us about the past. How do I know about the future? Scripture says, then there will be a sukkah for shade by day from the heat and for refuge and for shelter from the storm and from rain. In the next verse, Isaiah 4, 6. The cloud represents the sukkah, the fullness of the presence of God in the world to come, the kingdom of heaven. Which makes me think of something. Hey, pop quiz. What was it that filled the temple of Solomon? Anyone know? Ding, 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 ding. One Torah point. It was a cloud. And when did this happen? Okay. Let's check it out in 2 Chronicles 7. Now, when Solomon finished praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of Adonai filled the house. The fire and the glory cloud. The fire and the cloud, like it was in the desert for Sukkot, right? The Kohanim could not even enter the house of Adonai because the glory of Adonai filled the house of God. When all the children of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of Adonai above the house, they bowed down on the pavement with their faces to the ground, prostrating, them, prostrating themselves and praising Adonai, for he is good and his mercy endures forever. At that time, Solomon observed the feast for how long, do you think? Seven days and all Israel with him. And then on the eighth day, they held a solemn assembly for they had celebrated the dedication of the altar for seven days and the feast for seven days. On the 23rd day of the seventh month, what's the seventh month? Tishrei, that's this month, the 23rd day. That would be eight days after the 15th. So what feast that lasts for seven days was Solomon celebrating on the 15th of Tishrei? Sukkot. That is when the cloud and the fire came to Solomon's temple. So what filled the temple? The fire and the cloud of glory, like the sukkah in the wilderness. And when did this happen? The seven-day festival in the seventh month, which is what we are doing right now, Sukkot. Jeffrey Rubenstein, professor of Jewish thought and literature at NYU, says this about the sukkah cloud. Quote, the passage carries forward the biblical image of the glory of God manifest as a cloud. Just as God signaled his occupation of Solomon's temple by filling the temple with the cloud, so in the eschatological future, that's a fancy word for end times, when the ark, tabernacle, altar, and sacred fire are returned to the temple, the cloud and glory will descend once again. In the very next paragraph, Professor Rubenstein says this, a related stream of thought associates the Messiah with the cloud. Daniel 7, 13 relates, one like a human being, 
came with the clouds of heaven. He reached the Ancient of Days and was presented to him. Often translated as Son of Man, the figure has long been seen as the Messiah. Inspired by this passage, the Messianic figure in 4 Ezra flies with the clouds of heaven. Remember the cloud rider? This motif becomes prominent in New Testament eschatology and times theology. In the transfiguration scene of the Gospels, in which Jesus appears to his disciples as the Messiah, arrayed in heavenly glory, a cloud overshadows them, and a voice from the cloud, a voice from the cloud proclaims Jesus, the beloved Son, unquote. You know, I never understood this passage before, but it occurred to me while reading this passage from Professor Rubenstein that the transfiguration is also where Peter makes a very strange offer to the three guests. What does he say? Hey, we should build three Sukkot, three tents, one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Yeshua. That never made sense until now. The brilliant light emanating from the glorified body of Yeshua is our sukkah. So Peter made the connection and he was like, you know what would make this even better? Actual tents. <laughs> okay, maybe not, but we see where he was going, right? Again, the Talmud is helpful. Rav Nachman said to Rabbi Yitzhak, have you heard when the sun who has fallen will come? Rabbi Yitzhak said to him, who is the sun who has fallen? Rav Nachman said to him, he is the Messiah. Rabbi Yitzhak called him, asked him, do you call the Messiah son who has fallen? Rav Nachman said to him, yes, as it is written, on that day, I will establish the Sukkot David, the tent of David that is fallen. That is why the Messiah is called Bar Nifle, son of the fallen. Another rabbi said, He's not the son of the fallen, Bar Nifle, but it should be read Bar Nefele, son of the cloud. The name Anani of First Chronicles 3.24 is translated as cloud, but the Targum translation renders the name Anani not as cloud, but as the King Messiah. All of this to say, the cloud of God's presence, the sukkah of God, is the Messiah in Jewish tradition. Let me repeat that. The cloud of God's presence, the sukkah of God, is the Messiah in Jewish tradition. So the connection of Yeshua being the cloud tent in the New Testament is not, in fact, anything new. This makes sense because the Lord himself is our tent. Throughout the Hebrew Bible, he tents with us in the tabernacle, the temple, the Ruach, and through Yeshua the Messiah. The introduction to John's gospel says the word was with God, the word was God, the word became flesh and tented or tabernacled with us. The last sukkah cloud to be rebuilt, as I mentioned, is the Sukkot David the tent of David, 
Now, I'm not talking about my tree tent. I'm talking about the kingdom of the Davidic king coming in the clouds. Why do I say rebuilt? Because as we've mentioned in the prophets, the tent of David, unfortunately, is in disrepair. The kingdom is incomplete. So what would make the messianic tent of David fully restored? Beloved, Sukkot isn't just about a cloud tent. It's also called the festival of the ingathering. It's a harvest. I'm talking about the ingathering of the nations under the Sukkah of David, the cloud tent of the Messianic King. You see, God is filling in all the missing pieces of the tent of David. Not just my own hammock tent with a missing ratchet, a missing strap, but he is gathering the nations to himself under the tent of the Messiah King. The tent is only complete when the fullness of the nations and the fullness of Israel are under the sukkah of Yeshua, the Messiah. That's when it'll be complete. That hasn't happened yet. So what can we do? Well, let's pray. Let's pray for the missing pieces to come in, just like I did. Let's invite others into our sukkah, literally and figuratively. Let's eat together under the cloud of his presence because it's repentance and humility and unity that brings the presence of God. Let's invite people into the messianic kingdom under the care of Yeshua. Let's reach out with hospitality, care, compassion, tenderness, love. You can, in a sense, you can be the sukkah for someone else. You can represent the presence of God for someone who needs it. Beloved, the days are short. All of this, all of this is temporary. Let's redeem the time and share the love of Messiah with those who need it. Because we all need it. May you all enjoy the presence and love of God under the sukkah during this festival and always. Chag Sameach.